Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series for leaders who empower others to create supportive and inclusive workplaces where people can do their absolute best. Each week I will interview a leader who epitomizes the ability to empower others to lead and create amazing workplaces, environments and communities because of that skill. In these interviews I try as much as possible to let our guests do all the talking as they are the stars and not me. I trust you enjoy the lessons and wisdoms each guest shares, and if you're like me, listen to the interviews a number of times to capture some of the true gems of leadership we hear each week. Our next guest on the Courage to Lead interview series is a gentleman called Robert Anderson, an author, the author of a great book called Who Makes a Leader, Not What? A fantastic testimonial about Robert's book is the following by Christy Kelty a manager of organisational change management in the public sector. Christie says about Robert's book, this is the future of leadership, where actions speak louder than outputs and supporting our people and looking after ourselves is fundamental to success. As an entrepreneur, Robert has been the founder of more than a dozen successful businesses across Australia and Europe. As a youth, Robert says that he lived a very dark life moulded by the divorce of his parents and the death of his much-loved grandfather. At this early stage of his life, because of the loss he'd experienced, he declared he wanted to become a millionaire, compromising both his morals and his ethics. And no matter how rich he became, how many times over and over he became a millionaire, he just became a dark person and lived on the dark side. So this book and, and this interview describes how Robert went on a search for a better self and going from what he terms the dark side to the light side. In his business life, Robert discovered that when he was living on the dark side, all he thought about was how, to con how he can control people. But when he decided to live life on the light side, all he thought about was how can he empower people so they can thrive. And he discovered when you give people their own autonomy, you have so much more time to be creative for yourself. This interview described what happens next in Robert's life. The final thoughts before you start to listen to, it, to this interview, which goes for an hour and nearly just short of an hour and a half. Robert talks about, if you think about the title of his book, Who Makes a Leader and Not What? He makes reference to Simon Sinek's famous book, where leading all starts with why. Robert has a different perspective. If, you, who, if who you are is on the dark side, your why will be completely different to who you are if you're living life on the light side. Robert espouses each leader, every, all of us as leaders have to have integrity. And his simple definition of integrity is simply, would you do something if someone was watching you? If the answer is yes, that's integrity. And Robert says his last point for a leader is add love and the flavour of love to everything you do. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. It's a very wonderful revelation about what it's like to go from the dark side to the light side and how you can become a better person if you continue to open yourself up to learning all throughout your life.
Welcome to the Courage to Lead interview series. Our next guest, a wonderful man with the name Robert Anderson, author of a pretty impressive book, uh, which was just launched on Easter Sunday last, last week, uh, Who Makes a Leader, Not What? So welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Alan. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, and I, I really, just, just a bit of a, a backstory, I really enjoyed your book. Um, I think I sent you a few messages, probably two or three chapters in. Um, I kind of, I kind of related to how you think. Uh, I thought we thought very similar. Um, so I'm really interested to see where where this interview goes. So yeah. <clears throat> let's get straight into it. Um, every guest on this podcast series, um, I asked them uh, two icebreaker questions just to kind of get us going. So it's this is a leadership um, podcast. So my first question to you is, what was your first true experience of leadership and why? And that can be as a six-year-old or it can be yesterday or anywhere in between. So over to you, mm. Robert. <laughs> that's a really interesting question, that's for sure. I think uh, I'm going to reflect back and say first time, which I did not realise at the time of true leadership was was stems from my mother and 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 not from her professional career. But I think my mother and father divorced when I was six. Yeah. And it was as any divorce, you know, it's got good sides and bad sides to it, right? Yeah. And uh, how my mother, as a mother, there was three three of us kids at that time. Uh, she was uneducated as such. She finished school in, in year nine at that point. There was no further education for women. And she stranded, you know, in her uh, early, what, what would she be then? 20-something, end of her 20s. As an uneducated woman with three children, right? And divorced, living by herself and, and shared custody of the children. What she did was she did definitely mourn for a while, you know, because it was horrific, I'm sure, for her. But her agency, how she carried herself, she she worked full time and she started to be a mechanical engineer, wow. which is, was wow. a four year degree at a time. As she then raced oh, together with my father, it's not that he didn't do his part, but he was often traveling. So there was usually mom for three weeks and dad for a week and whatnot like that for the three yeah. of us. Yeah. I was six, my sister was seven, and my little brother was uh, three. Yeah, well. And then, so so for, so not only did she pass to become a mechanical engineer in a four-year degree, which is what it was at the time, she did that in three years uh, while yeah. she raised us and while she worked full-time. Now, she was the only woman in her class of 20 engineers she was there was one woman yeah and and when she applied when she finished her degree the selected jobs was around for an engineers of course she was up against all these other men into yeah. in world with only had pretty much men dominated yeah. engineering world in the 80s yeah she got asked to come for an interview met the ceo at the time who interviewed her they went on site to, he introduced the project for her. And that afternoon she signed the paper. He said, we want you here. Well, and, yeah. uh, and, and that's really the, 
she never spoke. She never said anything about it at the time. She never whinged. She never did anything. She just got on with the job and she just demonstrated by just her every, every part of her being and every, every action she took was about being a leader, really. She got yeah. the job done. Yeah. Against many, many bad odds, if you like. So I think that's, a, that's the most extraordinary leadership sort of memory that I have. One of the first ones where I really, but at the time I didn't see it then, you know, as a six-year-old, you don't see that. But as you grow up, you go, God almighty. Yeah. My mom really, she really demonstrated what I would like to demonstrate, right? Just, yeah. And we, That's we, pretty we, special. Yeah, yeah. And us children, we never felt like, uh, that we were second or anything. She just worked through, I don't know when she studied, but I mean, I, never, <laughs> I don't have a memory of her studying, yeah. right? But she must have studied hard. Yeah, you know, yeah. She must have. But, you know, there was no, we always felt nurtured and loved and hang, we could hang with her and we made puzzles together and we cooked with her. It felt like she had all the time in the world for us. Yeah. And, and, and I'm sure in herself, she, she was stretched so thin, right? But she never gave that away. So her agency in that was just extraordinary, Alan. Extraordinary. I love, um, I love where the, well, you know each person brings something different to these interviews, um, and I and I love your use of the word agency. Mm, mm. I, I haven't, um, I haven't had someone. Someone else had a similar word, but it wasn't that word. So what? What? Uh, well, I'm going on a bit of a tangent there, but what? Yeah, what's, yeah. what's 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 agency mean to you? Because it's a so good agency, description. It, it is. So agency, I tend to use uh, Princess Diana when I describe the word agency for people because Princess yeah. Diana was a princess of, you know, the, 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 the royalty of, of England, if you like, yeah. with a very, very strict framework on what you can and can't do as a person and how, yeah. you, and how you interact and how you don't interact with people that are lower than their royalties, right? Yeah. Now, when she married Prince Charles and went, I think it was early 90s, she went to a country when AIDS was rampant. She went to an AIDS hospital and she yeah. touched and hugged a child that had AIDS yeah. to break the boundaries. Now, 100 million people overnight changed their minds of what AIDS was all about, right? Yeah. yeah. Agency represents that way of carrying yourself to your own true value because that was true to her. That was her agency against all exterior odds that was against her doing that yet yeah even though yeah. she did that as a not as an act of rebellionism she did it out of her compassionate heart but it was it was definitely looked at from the royal family perspective that she was a rebellion that they could not control and i think that's the definition of agency oh it's not mate, expected uh, of you to do that yeah uh, Mate, um, I think I could stop the interview now. That's that's the quote of the quote. Because <laughs> uh, I've never heard anyone use, I can't remember that a couple of other guests use a similar word, um, but it meant, but I love, I've never heard it used before, agency, and I loved your definition of it. Carrying yourself yes. to your own true values. What a yes. beautiful definition. Um, oh, thank and you. I, yeah, and what, um, and I love the fact that, so so many guests actually go back to their mum and dad. Um, or yes. their auntie or grandmother um, yeah. as their first true example of leadership. But I might just before we started this interview, um, and, I, and I gave the intro that uh, you've just had your book launch and you had it on Easter Sunday, uh, which has just gone. That's the, what was that? That's um, 
April, uh, April the 9th, April the 9th, 2023 um, for Australia. Um, that's a really weird date to have a book launch. But, it, it was um, actually Easter Saturday, Alan. Easter, Easter Saturday, okay. Yeah. Easter Saturday, yeah. Easter, yeah. Easter, yeah. So August the 8th then, uh, April the 8th. Um, April the 8th. Uh, but you just clarified before we started this interview that the reason you had that date was because your mum, who is clearly very important in your life, could yes. make was in Australia for that day uh, yes. for another family um, a celebration, a wedding of one, of one of your children. So yes. it's wonderful that you did that, uh, did that something that's so tre- precious to your professional uh, yes. kind of uh, life, I suppose, um, and development that you wait, you wanted to share it with your mum. Uh, yes. and, and I think you just give us the why you wanted to share it with your mum because she yes. has true agency as a leader. So quite beautiful. Um, yes. Second can, question. Can I, yeah, yeah. Can I add to that, Alan? Yeah. There is actually a leadership journey that my father took as well, but it was before I was born. Yep. But I have a memory of it now. So, and and it, it's a fantastic story that I also shared yeah. on the book launch because yeah. I don't talk about it in my book and most people don't know of it. So he, in 1963, he was a United Nation peacekeeping soldier in Congo. And what many people don't know is that in 1963 is the first and only time United Nation has declared war. So they were in war in Congo. What does that mean? That means that the peacekeeping soldiers could actually shoot first. It's the only okay. time in history it happened. My dad was down there when it happened and he I'm sure has some horrific memories from that. Yeah. But, but what that led to is that 19, the year after, so 64 and 65, the two following years, he was then, as anyone had served in Congo, was offered to go to Cyprus as a United Nations peacekeeping soldier. And for his work there as a United Nations peacekeeper, he was awarded in 1988 the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. Now, very few people have been awarded Nobel Peace Prize. Yes. And my dad is was awarded 1988. So he had his he brought his diploma down and his uh, Nobel Peace Prize uh, medal, which sits here on mantelpiece at home. And he was uh, he was given, it was awarded 1988, but it was actually given last year. So 2022, he received it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. So I don't know why there was a delay, yeah. but I'm sure there was a reason. Uh, that's yeah. how it is. So the, the diploma and the record books will have forever show my father as a Nobel Peace Prize uh, receiver, 1988. Yeah. You've got you've got some um, you've got some big shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah, I do. I <laughs> and do. some um, some wonderful role models. That's that's pretty yes. wonderful. Well yes. done, mate. I, I did hear that, so I'm glad you went there because um, I, I I'm just in your hands where you take me. So um, uh, thank you for sharing that with our listeners. Um, because um, our listeners, as you I don't know whether you're aware, but they're they're all over the world. Like they're in Sweden, yes. they're in America. Some un, uh, some un, incredible places. So, um, yes. next question, uh, and then we're then we're into your story. What's something about Robin Anderson, Robert Anderson that no one knows? Oof, that no one knows. <laughs> so what you're saying is I have to break my code of silence. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no, because no, there's no one else looking. It's just a conversation between you and me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
That actually comes from a lesson I learned in around about 20 years ago. Uh, I read a book that's called The Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, Tom Hartman. And that has a, had a humongous impact on me at the time. And I still, I learned that there was a part of that where this author went to this uh, African tribe where they have three rules per day to live by. That was each day you had to learn something new. That was number one. Uh, they may not be that order, but yeah. uh, the, the second rule was that each day you have to teach someone else something new. Oh, yeah. And the third one that had the biggest impact on me was that each day you got to do something for someone without that person ever knowing that it was you. So it wasn't about your ego, right? It was just about what can you give. Do so, something uh, for someone else without and they don't knowing. Know. Without them they knowing. don't know. And they can never find out. You can never tell them. You can't tell anyone else. Wow. So th that third bit, I do that not every day, but I do that at least weekly on, on different things. So I have wow. a rule. I have to do something weekly that I reflect on that I've done. And, and one example for what I've done is that when I fill up my car with fuel, I will, let's say it's $89.13 I pay with my Visa card. Yeah. And I look look at whoever is filling up and I'll see maybe an age pensioner or something. And I put $20 on the counter and says, when pump six pays, this is $20 of their payment. And I walk out and I don't tell anyone else. And they yeah. don't know me. They can't thank me. Yeah. And they have yeah. no idea who I was or why I did it. I think that's, it's about um, paying it forward. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. So, so it's a $20 note, is it? It's a 20 yeah, It's yeah. actually cash. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cash. Well, yeah, because well. otherwise they could trace me eventually. So right? yeah, I don't yeah. want that. It's not about recognition. It's about how can I pay it forward in a way where people might. My, my aim with that is is not to pay the money. It's for them to think maybe I can do that one day, right? Like it's about and role model is something that you wish was more of in society. That was really what it comes down to. So yeah, yeah. yeah. What a beautiful man. Uh, can you, I mean, that's a great example out of the blue. Can you think of another one? Oh, yeah, I can think, I can think of many. I just don't know how many. How, how, I'll be breaking my cone of silence. People may hear this and go, that happened to me 2015. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you just don't know. So, uh, yes, so, uh, and also the petrol station. I, I come in and when someone goes and pay, I, I watch them, someone walks slowly. Yeah. I have a lot of fun at petrol stations, you can hear. Yeah. Then I wash that front windscreen without them knowing. I look for a dirty one, wash the windscreen and walk away. And I, they have no idea who washed it. They just come <laughs> back, oh, so clean. <laughs> and they start looking around. And I usually just pretend I'm on the phone because I like to see their, I like to see, the reward is for me seeing when they see it. Yeah. But they, they'll never know it was me. So, yeah, yeah. that's another well, one I do. Well, yeah. Well. You've already, um, as I said, yeah. You've only answered two questions. I think we can stop right now. Everyone, everyone's got uh, everyone's got a great impression about uh, who you are. So, yeah. look. So, I've read your book, uh, and like many books in this space, uh, like what you what your your book's called, "Who Makes a Leader, Not What," and it's all about about um, about how hard the workplace can be, how, how kind of um, we kind of turn ourselves into someone that we're not probably really proud of 
and then you've obviously found it doesn't have to be like that, uh, and and you and you and you go in this different direction. So I'm not going to spoil it uh, for the for the readers because I want them. We all want them to read it. Um, but it's obvious to me when I read the uh, the subtleties of your story and even your introduction. Uh, I think about about the author. Something happened, uh, or maybe a number of things happened in your life for you to have a flip. Um, on yes. kind, the kind of the leader that you started off as to the leader you are now. Um, so this is your story, um, uh, and we've already got a glimpse of who you are, so you're quite a beautiful person uh, with a huge heart. So over to you, what's your story, yes. and, how, and how does it start, and where does it kind of um, flip? And, and and where do we how do we end up with Robert Anderson that we're talking about now? Yeah, Whew. in your hands. You take me <laughs> yes. where you want to take me. Yeah, I think we've got to do some segments, and then we can chat about each segment. But I think really, when my parents divorced, and I speak, I touch on this in the book. I, I was young, I was six, and then I took that really hard. And I remember mum and dad was really good about it. And you, you could choose, you could say, who did you want to live with mum? Or did you want to live with dad? That we, the, us, us siblings could, could make that decision. So, and, and I said, I, I just want to stay in a house. And I'd say that was my preference. That, that was where I always saw my safety and, yeah. and somehow, and whoever stays in the house, I said, I'll stay there. Yeah. Dad stayed in the house, so I stayed with, with dad. But, yeah. We, we didn't that it wasn't a divorce like that we just the government needs to know where does a child live so it was more about that even though we had free reign of go back and forward between the houses we never yeah. had sort of a week at mom weekends at dad that never looked like that for me or any of my siblings but that really started to shape and i and i and i touch on this and i only know this afterwards as you reflect on life my world sort of fell apart at some at some part there because what I thought was my world, which was my mum and dad, we lived in a house, I had all my mates and yeah. we had a good thing going. Yeah. And and that world fell apart. And so I'll come back to that in a minute. Now fast forward a couple of years. I adored my grandfather, and that was my mother's father. And I also adored I adored all my grandparents but in yeah. particular my grandfather he was an inventor and he was very well educated and he was also had very strong opinions and views about how social social constructs should work and not work yeah i was 13 when he died and it was the first time i experienced death as such and yeah. it wasn't just at that time but those two events really i got angry you could see I was angry yeah. as you grow up. I was angry because it was a divorce. I was angry for this and that granddad died. I was angry for that. So there was a yeah. lot of anger in me. Now, at some point, and I don't think there was a, a moment, but there's rather a gradual thing. I turned that anger into rage and I don't know why. There was a choice obviously to go with the dark or the light. And yeah. I opted for the dark. Yeah. So I have lived a very dark part of my youth through very dark stuff, yeah. which I, there's no way you can take the clock back, but that yeah. definitely shaped me. That darkness 
has definitely shaped me. And it was also my, it was also where I went under through that darkness, right? Because you live through that darkness because as I then grew up, uh, I made a call somewhere in there, probably just after the divorce. I said, I'm going to be a millionaire. And at that time, I just thought I love money and it's yeah. interesting. I can do stuff, but I, I know afterwards now that was really my safety blanket. Yeah. So me making a call wanting to be a millionaire, uh, there wasn't a person that I knew that didn't know that about me. Everyone knew Robert's going to be a millionaire. Yeah. Now, as I set out on that journey, so I channeled all my energy into becoming a millionaire to the very much to the cost of other stuff in my life. Yeah. Relationships and values and, and morals and ethics and, and all whatnot. And that was a driving factor in my life. And yeah. When I became a millionaire, of course, nothing changes, right? It's just, yeah. it's just numbers in a bank account. So, you yeah. know, so you set the next target. Oh, clearly I need 2 million to be happy, right? And to, 2 million to feel safe and happy and all these things that you think is at the end of that rainbow. Yeah. And that didn't help. So, no, you, you, you're just keeping that. I just kept moving that yardstick up, up yeah. the chain, more yeah. and more millions. And I realized that. They made nothing for me, right? Like yeah. nothing. There, there was yeah. there was no value in that, and it didn't give me any joy, or it give didn't give me any valuable things that I can share with my children. Because mm. I mean, of course, yeah, you can pass on money to your children, but that's not what they want me for. They want yeah. me for just to be around with them. Yeah. So that that's really the first part of me, me living in this darkness, driven by this hunger and thirst for something that I, that you, you, you can never, you can never be fulfilled by, even if you get there, you, you just move the yardstick, right? That, yeah. that yeah. greed mentality, you know, it was really yeah. greed mentality. Can I, um, and I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't know, I don't like to interrupt you, but um, I, can we touch on, you said that it, this uh, darkness in you, um, and the energy you put into becoming a millionaire affected your relations, values, relationships, values, and morals in a negative way. Yes. Do you, are you prepared to give an oh. example about <laughs> what that looked like? What it looked like? It looked like so when I had a relationship with, uh, I was together with a girl for many years in Sweden, for I think four or five years, for example, I was incredibly jealous. You know, like a controlling, jealous man. Yeah. Because I didn't, of course, you know, you look at, I didn't want her to leave me because, you know, I've seen what that happened. I've seen that hurt happens when mom and dad leaves each other, right? So, yeah. you know, you're just reliving, reliving that memory. Yeah. And and darkness thinks controlling another person yeah. is the best way of keep someone close, right? But the opposite yeah. is true if, when you're working yeah. from light. But that was definitely true true in, my, in the headspace I was at the time. Yeah. And then I, I, I wasn't, I was never hitting someone. It wasn't that kind of uh, abuse, but it was definitely about, you know, having opinions or very strong, you, know, you yeah. should come with me here. We should go there. That kind of approach, you know? Yeah. Now, fortunately she was, a very very strong woman thank yeah, god yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she stood against that and, and i saw that almost like you know like it's the 
the hunter and the prey approach. And I, and I yeah. think we fed off each other. If you're going to look at that relationship from both sides, she was in that relationship because she also yearned for that hunter prey kind of, you know, being the hunter over the prey yeah. kind of approach. So we, yeah. we both really in a vicious way fed off each other in a, in a very, in a not very good way at all. Yeah. And no matter how I, how I've tried, she ended up breaking up with me, right? Yeah. That's what happens in the end, you know? So, <laughs> but then, you know, what happens? I just got more angry. Yeah. Right? So that's what happens. You just get more angry. Yeah. <laughs> right. And saying, let's take a reflective approach and say, what did I, what, what did I, what was my input to this happening? But yeah, that, that didn't happen. It was more about who can I blame for this? You know, I'm in denial of my own self. I'm blaming the world. I'm justifying my own behavior, you know, and, and I'm saying, this is okay. Well, well, you kind of um, you're giving a very personal example of uh, leadership going wrong in the workplace too. Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but you're giving it. It starts. It started at home. So I, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt you. So when I asked you that question, um, the last thing you said before that was uh, you had created a greed mentality. So where 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 what happens then? What happens then? Let, let me also give you an example. So the kind of, so I was actually a chef apprentice originally. That was my first uh, introduction to work workforce, if you like, as as, yeah. a, as an educated. So I, I I'm a qualified chef, if you like. Yeah. Now all I had, so at 16 I entered my first kitchen as an executive chef, at a at a, I'm I'm not sure, but in France in in. In France, they got give Michelin stars. Yeah, yeah. And this rest this restaurant in Gothenburg was one star, Michelin star. Yeah. So it was a very, very upmarket restaurant. And I started my apprenticeship there. And the owner, which was also the executive chef, his name was Hans Weiler. He was the uh, <laughs> he was the Joe. If if the light is the Batman. He was the Joker, right? He's the ultra, ultra ego, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Clark Kent and uh, what's it, Lex Luthor, right? Yeah, yeah. He was all about fear, control, and intimidation. That's all he did all yeah. day long to everyone yeah. around him. Yeah. And it was ne no matter what you produced, you could produce perfection. You would just take the plate and you just heave it in the bin and said, "That is just rubbish," right? Just because he could. Yeah, and it, it was just, and he he had a, his life mission to break apprentices that they yeah. couldn't last for a year. He okay. he he took proud to pride in in breaking apprentice within a year. Yeah. Now my darkness said, my dark, I'm going to be stronger than that. I'm going to outlast him, so I'm going to be here for more than a year and then leave. Yeah. So I withstood an enormous amount of shit. Yeah. <laughs> from from him, including physical abuse. Yeah. And he was a monster of a sized man. He was huge. I remember his size of his hands was like a toilet lid. Like yeah. he was just a big German man. Yeah. And um, and be, I had planned my uh my revenge to him when I left. Yeah. And this is the space I was in. Yeah. So after service. So last meal goes out. He literally dropped his knives. The kitchen was an absolute shamble. He walked out to the bar and he sipped a glass of wine. 
And back then you had the cassette tapes and they were yeah. 45 minutes on each side. Yeah. So he put the cassette tape in the cassette player in the kitchen and pressed play for German March music. Yeah. And he said, the kitchen needs to be clean in 45 minutes or you're out the door. Yeah. That was every night for me. Yeah. And every night I work, he tried to leave the kitchen messier every time. So I just could not physically make the 45 minutes time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, this went on for long for over a year, right? Every yeah. every night the same, always the same. So what I did, my last day there, he actually thanked me for being there. He wrote me no reference. He barked at me for resigning and leaving. He barked at me all the way out. What he didn't know that I was smiling all the way out because I'd taken that cassette tape and I dropped it at the bottom of the stock pot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so he came in the next day wanted to play his cassette tape and he wasn't there. <laughs> now, now I give you that story because I went to this was in Sweden. I went to Australia and whatnot. We come back home ten years later. I walk into post office with my wife from Australia. Yeah. And I and I see a tired, worn gray-haired old man yeah. sitting on a chair in the post office and I knew it was him. Yeah. Now, from 16 to 26, you change a lot. So he yeah. didn't immediately recognize me and he had yeah. many, many people, many uh, apprentices that he picked on, right? I was just yeah. one of hundred, hundreds. Yeah. So I walked up to him and I said, Hans Weiler, do you remember me? And he looked up at me and he said nothing. He just looked and he said, no, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, let me remind you, I was one of the people that you hassle in your restaurant, blah, blah. This is the year. And I said, oh, Robert, he said, I remember you. <laughs> How are you going? I said, I actually became a really good chef. I, I work in Australia, I ran restaurants. I'm an executive chef now, blah, 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 blah. And he smiled. I never seen him smile. Right? He smiled for the first time. And he said, I got something to tell you. And so I got a I got a confession to you. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, What's that? He said, You may not remember, but when I left, you lost your cassette tape for German March music. And he said nothing. He just looked at me. He, his whole face changed, right? Yeah. He brought that memory back. Yeah. And I said, and I know you don't know where it went. I said, I'm not gonna tell you where it went. I said, I put it in the stock pot because that was my revenge for how you treated me, your asshole. I said, <laughs> something good came out of it. I'm a really good chef, but I hated you at the time. And yeah. I want that to be on the record. Yeah. And he just stared at me for like 20, 30 seconds, said nothing. Then he stood up, laughed a big belly laugh and gave me a hug and said, good on you. And he said, I've been thinking every day what happened to that cassette tape <laughs> since it disappeared. Yeah. So I thought, that was a good, good story on. So he mistreated people, right? Me being one of them. Yet he had this always wondering what happened with my cassette tape. Yeah. Always, if someone stole it, he would have blamed everyone in the world for it, right? Yeah. <laughs> for all these years. <laughs> and now, now we finally had like a, an insight to, oh, now I know it. He, it's like he just, I'm relieved now. And I thought, yeah. Mm. <laughs> So anyway, so that was just one of those sort of side stories that who I was then and when I met him 10 years later, I was working more from the light and I was more in my compassion space. Yeah. So it wasn't there was no longer about revenge, right? It was about let's 
I saw it as a great opportunity presented to me for whoever, for whatever force exists that puts those things together for us. Yeah. For me to redeem my true self. Yeah. And so, lovely. Lovely. Yeah. And it's a really, um, I hear a few people talk about what you, in a, in a, when you work for uh, an autocratic boss who's a bully, um, they force your compliance, but they don't force your loyalty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and the minute the minute they they need loyalty, well, there's nothing left to give. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well done. Well done. So, all right. So we're um, you've given us an example. You were a, a chef, and you, so you you did a big jump there. You 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 were a 16 year old in Sweden, and then yep. at 26 you're in Australia. Yeah. So what yes. what you take me where you want to take me. So what happened is that I, I, uh, I went travelling with my best friend Anders, and he was a, him and I left Sweden in '93, and I sold everything I had, and I said to my mum and dad, and, and mind you, now this is '93, this is before emails and and uh, and mobile phones right they were invented email, mobile phones were invented but no one could afford them they're the big bricks right yeah 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 so i left saying to my mom and dad i'm leaving for two years and i have a ticket i don't know where it's going to take me i'm just i'm just going to get out of here yeah and time ticks by and i usually sent the postcard from every new country so every four to six weeks, my mom knew I was in the new country. Now there's a delay in the postcard getting there, right? There so mm. was, was always a time in the middle, but pretty much no one knew where I was, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we ended up in Australia and uh, we needed some more cash. So we started working uh, in hospitality in Melbourne. Mm. And we needed to work for eight weeks. We kind of we worked for eight weeks. We saved the money. We got the East Coast and Asia. Asia was the end goal for a year in Asia. So yeah. we ended the first year in Australia and then go to Asia. Uh, about three weeks or so in, I, a girl comes in the kitchen, an apprentice, who uh, is looking for a job as an apprentice. She had a meeting set up with the head chef. And as she walks into the back of the kitchen, there's a sort of hello kitchen. Uh, we all turn around, and as I turned around, I immediately fell in love with her. <laughs> and I immediately made a decision there and then. She's the one for the rest of my life. She just is. And the second yeah. before that happened, there was all about lots of different parties, a lot of lot of different women rather than the one. Yeah. And I said, and I said to Anders, which was also working at the same restaurant as a waiter, I said. I'm gonna hang back here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get together with Vanessa, and it's gonna be us. He said, "You're out of your you're nuts." He said, "Take a beer. Let's yeah. go and get drunk. Get yeah. you sorted out." Three weeks happened, and uh, we became a couple, my, yeah. Vanessa and I. And within two months after that, uh, we got married. So I asked wow. her to get mar marry me within wow. after three months, three week, three weeks of us meeting. And she yeah. said yes, and we coordinated a wedding and got married soon after. Yeah. And uh, I stayed here ever since, which was nine, 94. Yeah. Well, that's so a that, beautiful story. Yeah. yeah, so that's how I ended up here. Yeah. And 
It's funny because we never discussed whether we stay here or in Sweden. It was always a given that we just hang here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, if you fast forward, you know, we, we come back to that. Fast forward, I'm now an Australian citizen. 2004, I became Australian. So I'm a dual citizen now, and so which means our kids are dual citizens of Sweden, which is EU. So we've got an EU yeah. passport and an Australian passport. So yeah. it's a really best of, of, of both worlds. Yeah. So you said, um, like, we're, we're 26 when you come to Australia, and a couple of years later, you're 2000, what's that, 1983? Um, so 1985, and then 2004, you're an Australian citizen, 2004. Um, yeah. Your story says you wanted to be a millionaire and you got there and then you wanted to be a $2 million. Uh, yes. So when does that happen? Well, I started my first, like I had 14 of my own businesses, my, many of them with my wife, but I also had some businesses in Sweden before I left. So I really started working on my, on my millionaire dream already in Sweden. Mm-hmm. But once we ended up here in Australia and we had children, we capitalized on the booming housing and real estate market here yeah and we we bought cheap renovated and sold more expensive yeah it's a profit in between yeah or we subdivided so that 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 was that was one part of, of of getting to that millionaire's dream yeah but all the other companies helped out as well we we have a we have owned and operated restaurants hospitality school, laundry company, building company, consultancy firm, yeah. coach, you know, uh, leadership coach and mentor. Yeah. So there's a b- bunch of different, that bunch of different uh, businesses that we had that has all sort of worked towards that goal, if you like. Yeah. And the end, some of those businesses in the end, they were open more on the value base that they weren't about making money. It was actually about how, how can you support and help people rather yeah. than how, how can I drive my own agenda? So the shift somewhere, it's gradual, but it, there was definitely a shift somewhere in between opening the companies when I was in my dark space from my from my light space, if you like. Well, do you want to talk about that then? Because there's obviously um, a time when you go from your how you describe it, your dark space to your light space. Yes. What? There must be a defining moment or there may be a, a number of defining moments where you made the decision, I don't like this guy. Yes, very much so. <laughs> you want to, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, why not? Yeah. It's only you and me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so was it? So uh, my wife and I was happily married and we had two children at the time, two daughters. And... When we married, I was definitely still working in, it doesn't mean you're just in dark, right? But your, your value sits in there. It's more about where does your value sit? It doesn't mean you don't do good acts of kindness yeah, yeah. as well, but your value base and your belief sits in a different space, right? And you can you can peek out of there and pretend you're good, but you're not really because you, you're yeah. really, you're, you're both your foot, feet are planted in that dark space. And we had a very happy marriage. Like there was nothing wrong with anything that we did. And we had a great time together. But what we realized afterwards is that our relationship was built on what we can draw out of a relationship. And when that bucket is empty, that relationship breaks. Okay. And that's what happened. 
because up until that moment, I, I we both thought, me in particular, you know, but but so did Vanessa, of course. But this is this is about me, and I got to own my shit, right? So yeah, yeah. I most certainly thought that was all about what you can get out of a relationship, hundred mm-hmm. percent. That was was driving it. Now, what happens when there's nothing left to draw? Uh, you have a nasty breakup, and that's okay. what we did. Yeah. Okay. So we had a very uh, uh, typical, if you like, angry kind of uh, let's split our assets kind of approach to our divorce. Yeah. And we were both in a very bad space in the sense that we blamed each other. Yeah. We denied whatever we were responsible. We we blamed each other and we justified all our actions based on 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 our denials and and yeah. all that stuff sitting behind, right? Yeah, and uh, we we divorced, and uh, we broke up our assets, and at, for, for over a year, I don't know, it could have been two years. I'm not really sure about how long, but for a long while, there was never, it was never ever going to be us again. Yeah, like it just wasn't wasn't even on the cards. Yeah, but you know when when a divorced couple have two children, you are forced to meet. Yeah. You are forced to hand kids over to each other. Yeah. There's kids that have birthdays and you, you of course, you have to uh, be there because whatever you are arguing about, you should never use your children as pawns. And my mother and my father taught me that when they divorced. They never used us as pawns, never spoke a bad word about each other to any of us ever. Yeah. So neither of us did that, you know, at, at the time, even though I was very much in the blame space and so was she but we 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 played it very nicely for the kids yeah yeah and and during those during that time apart i really had some epiphanies in life uh some extraordinary epiphanies if you like yeah and that was the first time i really stopped and i asked myself the hard questions you know Who am I in all this? What now? What, what once the blame disappeared, right? Because that only holds for so long. Takes a while, yeah. Re- yeah. Yeah, yeah. It takes a while, right? <laughs> and and I, I initially I just poked toe out into that light, and I realized how that fueled me. So I poked more and a whole foot out, and then eventually I stepped across, but and worked from a light space, and 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 you you realize that all you done up until that moment. It's been very, very empty. It's been so shallow, and it only it only fueled you at a very shallow level, not from the inside up, but from the outside in. Yeah. So, so when I did that true reflection, I, I also realized that whoever I had been, I did not want to be that person anymore. I yeah. just did not. I made it. I made a concrete decision. I said, "That is no longer me." It t- took a while for me to realize. As I then so so if I'm not that, who am I instead? Uh, so I read some books at the time. I, I can't remember what they were, but they were about discovering who you are. Yeah. But they never gelled with me. Yeah. I'm a rebel, and and yeah. and it's not about discovering yourself. Mm. And and I realized as I dwelled in all this, it's about creating yourself. It's not about discovering because that's looking in the revision mirror. Yeah. Creating is looking forward, right? Yeah. And I was more interested in looking forward. I, I played enough in the in the in the revision mirror for, for a couple of lifetimes. So I made a shift 
and when that happened, when I came to that realization that it's about creation, not discovery, yeah. that's when I really cat catapulted. And I started to set down some firm values to myself. So who am I? So one of the first values I had to had to do is, is learn acceptance. Right. So that was one of the that was a really tough lesson for me through acceptance. And then of course, you know, acceptance lead, leads to forgiveness, you know, and that they all spin off each other, those kind of words. Yeah. You gotta and it wasn't about accepting or forgiving others, it was accepting and forgiving myself. That was the toughest bit. Yeah. It was really, it was actually quite easy at the time to forgive, you know, my wife for what I had blamed her for the past. But it was really, really tricky for me to look in the mirror without crying or feeling shame to saying, this is something I got to own because I did this. I yeah. guess I had nothing to do with it. I got to own my shit. And that was really tricky for me. Well, yeah. And, wow. and, and, but, but once that shift happens, like you realize that when you work in that dark space and you think you've got full control and you've got so much energy, that, that's like a fraction of when you work in the light space, when you, you, you create yourself every moment, right? So that, that creative space, it just spins off itself. But, but also know that and I chat to when I coach and mentor people that you can only know your light, I say, to the, to the extent that you acknowledge and know your darkness. It doesn't yeah. mean you have to live in your darkness, but if, if you only want to recognize this much of your <clears> darkness, <throat> that's, the, that's the extent of what you can recognize in your light. So if mm. you truly want to live in light, you actually got to find out what are my dark thoughts and what are my dark things that I've done that I'm shameful of and that I've done and I don't want anyone to find out about yeah, it. Yeah. You know? So it's deep it's stuff. One deep stuff, mate. Yeah. Deep stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. So one thing I had to do, I had, I had to go, I had to go and find the people that I've hurt along the way. Yeah. And I had to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. That was really tricky too. Very confrontational. And how were they meet, meet meet people that you might I, chased around and try to find these people in yeah. both Australia and Sweden and, 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 and some were extremely grateful and, and some sort of, yeah, good on you mate kind of approach, you know, yeah. but, but in the end, it wasn't about what they thought, whether they still were angry or not. I, I was there to listen if they had something to say. And if it wasn't, I needed, it was probably more validation process that I wanted to see if I'm truly want to live in forgiveness, you know, is, is, and I actually got to see, do I have enough light in me to, to, to live that too? Because it's one yeah. of the things to talk about it, right? There's one thing to let your action speak that language. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, yeah. and it was definitely a testing for me to see how in tune with my light I actually was. Well, And, and I, so, as I did um, it, I realized, yes, I'm there. So you've had this, you've you described this, you had these businesses that were, kind of wealth creation things, but then all of they changed into um, into stuff that you were starting to, to give back and add value to other people. So yes. so when does when you know I I kind of got the opinion opinion that it sounds like you've been a you, you've been your own boss most of the time. Yes. So um, 
So does the change happen around your own epiphany, around who you are in your own businesses, and then you change direction in your businesses? Or are you working for someone else and it just, you didn't like who you were? No, both. And I'm most certainly being most of the time my own boss. So it's about how, you know, it's more about, in, in the past, I ran my own business. I was very much in, in control mode. Yeah. I control everything and everybody, right? And the process is all about my way. Yeah. And it wasn't my way, it was sort of the highway. Yeah. And, and it, when you flip that, it was sort of about how can I empower people so they can be autonomous, yeah. and that, so, they can, so they can thrive doing something with me, not for me. So it's more about with me approach, even though you may be the owner, rather than for me approach. Did you, um, I just can't believe what you just came out with, because these, these, interviews, these interviews are so not scripted. But the Courage to Lead interview series is about identifying leaders who empower others yep. <laughs> to, to create supportive and inclusive environments where they thrive. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, you just you just nailed it with that. That's what your flip was from doing it yeah. all about my way to empowering people so that they had autonomy so that they could thrive. That's what yes. you just said. Um, yes. So what made you change? What like that's you just changed the 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 power basis completely. What made yeah, you change? Did. Well, well, it was definitely the 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 kickstart was definitely the the split up with split up with my wife, right? Because that then that that transcended through everything I did in the end. How how who I was as a partner, who I was as a father and as a brother and sister and son and 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 whatnot, and as a business owner or an employee. And it's I can't sort of put a time on it or an exact reason because it's it's like a morphing thing. Yeah, it sways, yeah. It sways yeah. like ebb and flow in and out, right? But in the end. You're not near the ebb or flow. You're you're the you should you you become the ocean as such. You know, yeah. so it's more about realizing that you need the ebb or flow, but you're ocean. You know. Yeah. So, so, so let's let's explore it. When you made the flip, like when you've gone yeah. from being all about my way to empowering others so that they are, have their own autonomy and that and you create an environment where they can thrive. Can you tell me? Give me, give us, give the listeners an example about um, what did that change create in in a workplace? What, 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 what was the difference yeah. for you uh, uh, personally, and what was the difference in the pro? I suppose the the product or the environment, and yes. what was the difference for the people who worked with you? So there's three things: you, the output, yeah. and the people. I mean, for, for me, I realized that when you give others autonomy, you have so much capacity left to be further creative. Because <laughs> I realized that I like to be creative. I don't actually like being in control. I don't like to maintain things. There's so many people that like that. I just like to create stuff. And like, I'm almost, if you like, addicted to creating stuff. Hence, I'm an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. I like to start things and test things and grow things. And then it's like, ah, someone else can do it. Let me move on. Oh, I yeah. have new ideas now, right? Yeah. And you realize when, when you give people to, to own, 
even if there might be an employee or a sub subcontractor, when when you when you provide them opportunity to originally buy into to my vision, but then say, I actually want you to be the vision holder for this. You know, I don't want to be the vision. I might have started it, but why don't you take this vision and why don't you see what you can take it? And you you, you don't have to. You just keep me informed. Right, I'm, I'm a consultant and informed guy rather than, a, and a, you know, if you look at a racing matrix, rather than a responsible and accountable person, you know, mm. let, 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 let's shift that to you. And, and, and if you want to run with it, every new idea you have, just test it. You don't yeah. have to ask for permission. Just, just go and test. And, and I want you to fail because every time we fail, we know something that didn't work. So we might have a, we might have a, we know we're heading north. So let's look at strategic intent. So we're looking, we're heading north and you can test 50 plans. I don't care Yeah. because when it works, we both benefit. And if you think it's fun to test new faces and new pilot testing and do things to, to shape up, whether it's a process, a new way of model, a new, a new model of operating or a new way of doing something or, or broadening the scope or the, the services we provide, let's go. And you yeah, don't you have to ask. Yeah. Can you can you think of um, it's funny and and I, I go to this point quite regularly on these interviews. Um, I, I'm only doing audio, but if I had a video interview, your engagement, your joy, your uh, pride um, in what you're describing is is infectious. So, um, can you is it possible for you to give a specific case study of what you just talked about? Where where you empowered someone else and they they blew the socks off what where you thought they could take an idea. Yeah. So so yes, the sim so I, I give an example. So we had an employee work with us a one year contract. And it was, was this, we had some specific outcomes. He said, Can we be specific what I'm here what is gonna be my outcomes? And it was in my building business. I said, Absolutely. These these are these are what I want you to achieve within the one year. And this is what I want you to maintain during that year. So there was some maintenance stuff and there was some new stuff. Now, yep. three or six months in, three months in, let's say, he, he comes to me and says, look, I'm sort of on top of things here. I've got a 12 month contract. Can I, can I have a think about something so we can explore some different avenues? I said, absolutely. Think whatever you want. So he took the next three months to test some things by himself. He, yeah. he just he said, I'm just going to do some testing around and however, no worries. And then he came with me with a plan. You could call it a business plan and said, this, this is what I want to create. I want to drive it this direction. I'm going to maintain all the things that are on the list and the outcomes and what you want me to maintain. But I have capacity for this. And if we do this, can we, and on all that part, can we run the revenue through different uh different account and we split the profit at the end. Okay. You put, so you, so he said, I put in the hours for free. Yeah. You put in the, you, you have the money to put in and we split the profits. I said, no problem. Absolutely. Great yeah. deal. Yeah. You know what? We, we, we had six months in, we simply did a handshake. There was no way this gentleman would ever think that I would not give him the 50% yeah. ever. He yeah. never asked to look in the books because he knew that my values would not allow it. That's as simple as that was. At the end yeah. of the year, 
we separated them out. And I said, actually, if you wait three more months, you get more money. Yeah. Do you want to wait three months or do you want to have the money now? And then I get the whatever is left because for bookkeeping, it's that one or that one. He said, I just wait three months. He waited three more months and he, he increased what he got with, I think, 40% or something. Okay. And there was oh, yeah. he, uh, uh, another person who got, oh, is this guy ripping me off now? You know, he's saying <laughs> this and saying that, right? Never, never thought that, right? So that's me yeah. behaving in a way and living true to who I am role model what i am and someone trusting that knowing that if i don't stick to it the only thing he will lose is money but he knew that i will lose so much more because i will lose me in that if i if i didn't stick to what i said and you knew that that would be my worst crime so he knew that that i would be held accountable towards my own values so that's one example how, you're, uh, how, you're, you're a good guy i want my I interviewed my best one of my best friends on this show early on in the in the in the in the this series, a man called Stephen Van Sweeten, um, that I've done a lot of leadership stuff with, and he always talks about his own personal values, uh, and that's yes. that's his um, that's his radar, his uh, rudder about the decisions he makes. Like he, he he's like you, he can he can have some um, dark thoughts, I suppose, but yeah. he but he never. He never um, produces them. He just uh, he might share them, <laughs> but he doesn't yes. and, and admit that they're there. But his values are his rudder, uh, yes. his core values. So it's it's so beautiful to listen to your to your inner values. And and what I love about it is you um, it's an evolving thing. Like you yes. you you were you went down a path. Yourself is yeah, the dark side, as you call it, um, and then you realise, well, I'm not getting any value out of that. I'm not getting any satisfaction, and then you create this light side, and it's just exquisite. So I think um, let's go to the book now. So you, you kind of created. Oh, there's so much in between that we could, we could talk for yeah. for the rest of the afternoon, I think. But um, so you've obviously you've had the flip, and I don't I don't know your story, but do you? Um, so I'll, I'll let you take it. Uh, I. I Pick up. There's some other story between the divorce and your life now, um, maybe. Oh yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, and and in the middle of all this is a book. Is a book. So yes. so let's let's go there. The book and, and what um, how that happened. Yeah. And um, and is there what I'm picking up a, a good news story in the in the divorce. Yes. So the good news story with the divorce, if we start there, right? So we, we were, we were, uh, we were apart and uh, we had children, two daughters, and I had definitely most certainly made my own growth in my space. And I never discussed that with, with, with my wife and, and little did I know that she had also come to some insights about maybe blaming someone and denying what your input into this is, is not very helpful. And uh, she had done her own growth on the side. Yeah. We then, because you hand over the kids back and forward, there was a uh, birthday party, I think, and we get to chat and you can immediately hear when someone is an, an 
you know, denial blame space or sort of compassion and you know, tr truthfulness space, right? Yeah. Full, full of integrity. There's just the first words come out of your mouth is, is evidently clear where you stand. Yeah. And we both realized that, hang on a minute, what happened here? Yeah. So we, we, we started talking and actually let me rephrase that. We didn't actually start talking. We started listening. Yeah. What we did before was talking. What we did now was listening. And we listened to each other with an, with an open heart to realize the struggle that each of us had gone through in our own space and how we, from our perspective and how we grown from it. And we realized that it was perhaps this new version of us. We were still, our names were the same, but we were completely new people. Yeah. And I love the fact in that is that I read somewhere once many years ago that in one year you replace pretty much all your cells in your body. There are a couple of cells in the, in the spine somewhere in the brain that don't change. You have them for life, but these trillions of cells that you have within a year, you sort of replace them all. Yeah. And I love that analogy because you're not actually the same person physically as you were a year ago. You're completely yeah. new. Every cell is new. Yeah. And what memories you load into those cells is up to you, right? That's how you create each of those cells. So she has obviously spent the last year, we were apart further, of creating her cells and herself in a way where she was a different person. And so was I. And this new, these two new people met and said, we actually made for each other. Yeah. This is actually how you have a relationship. We both realized, for example, that it's all about what you can put in. How can I serve you? Mm. Not how can I help you, but how can I serve? And then uh, we also had another daughter. We wanted to celebrate this new version of us. So we had a third child, so we have three daughters. So the eldest were 10 and eight when the youngest was born. And people that are around us now were also people that were around us before because friends uh, i don't make new friends very easily yeah yeah i have friend i have friends for lifelong friends for 20 30 or 50 years yeah and even they say that the, this new robert is a very 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 different person from the robert that we knew when we grew up and so is vanessa so we, we became a uh a new version of this relationship that is still here today. Beautiful, beautiful. So, and is that the catalyst to now? To your, now, so no? the, yeah. So the the as I grew and as I did my growth without Vanessa, and then also with within the relationship with Vanessa, I then started coaching people. So that's about a twenty year twenty year coaching journey, if you like, as a random yeah. figure. Yeah. So coach and mentor either both as an entrepreneur and also from a leadership kind of uh, coach, which is really what I am. You know, I, I do some coaching in business, but that, you know, some strategies and this and that. Are, and and that's, that's, that's sort of ABC for me and very helpful for someone to open their own first business for the first time. But really, I'm there to help leaders grow and reflect and assess and, you know, become self-aware. The aim of my coaching is self-aware. So the journey that I did myself as growing up from this darkness to this light was really a space of self-assessment, self-reflection yeah. yeah. to become self-aware, right? right? That's really the space. And, and that's how my model of leadership coaching works. And 
and in that then I did a master's degree of change innovation and leadership yeah and my thesis was on unconscious bias so unconscious bias is something that I used in my coaching all along but I really nailed it off with some with with some uh at my, in my master degree unpacking how does unconscious bias look is broad and I went deep on some biases and broad on some and did some some research into that and some and uh and the outcomes from that was sort of a, a report if you like yeah and and that's it's also that, that underpins that the part of my coaching part that, that talks about unconscious bias yeah that very much is is validated by my research in my master's thesis okay so yeah all right. And then I, and I have my last part of my book, which is my internal library. And that's really where my, that's my word. My internal library is my world, my word for, to describe, because when I coach, I describe it, you're in a library and you just keep, whatever you do, your actions are, your thoughts are, they are already books written for you. Now, some of those books, they have, values and beliefs and memories and traditions in them that no longer serve you. Your job as a leader is to look at those books and I call it, there is a gremlin sitting in those, in that yeah. internal library of ours and every book we grab, they scribble. So if you feel I am not worthy of this, the gremlin's gonna scribble, you are not worthy of any book you grab, right? The yeah. first sentence you read. Your job as a leader is, is actually to fire that gremlin, whatever that gremlin is writing to you, and create yourself. Don't discover yourself. That's past thinking. You've got to start creating yourself who you are into the future. And my coaching helps leaders. We spend, of course, time. You've got to look backwards first. You know, yeah. We start there. We start in the you know, current state, if you like, and what is looking forward. And I, and I help them shape what a future may look like for them. And I, and, I, and I say, well, can, is it possible for you to put a goalpost here? Or yeah. is it possible for you to put a goalpost here in your journey towards something? Or is that too far? Yeah. Or are you worthy? What's, what's holding against? What is the gremlin writing to you when I say that to you? Yeah, I like what, your... What's um, telling you? I like your... You've used it several times, and it's obviously your main, main theme is... Um, you create creating yourself not what's the word you use creating yourself not discovering yourself not discovering yes yeah. when you discover you're looking in a revision mirror right? yeah. you see yeah. what happened yes and Something i really quite happened. i quite like um a phrase i use is write your own story yes exactly <laughs> so um so it's and you you can't write you're not writing about the past you're writing about the future so yeah yes. yeah so um I, we we do think very similar, but I love I love how you're how you've created how 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 the book has been created because that's the good word about it. It's come from this history of from dark to light yes. to what to what what actually works. Um, Twenty years in the coaching space of leadership coaching yeah. um, yes. and. And your own personal self awareness on, on the way through. So, mm. let me. Uh, well, I think we're getting probably close to the end. Um, when you wrote this book, what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, that you're not the first one to ask me that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna. The most 
what I learned most is actually I validated something I sort of knew, but it was very, it was abundantly clear as I wrote the book that my approach to coaching is very much go where the client is, right? Meet the client where they're at. But I didn't have a, a really defined path on what steps to move forward. It was more about, uh, and it still is about, you know, you feel what the person that sits with you and you feel their pain and the space they're in or the joy that they're in and you, you articulate your questions accordingly. Yeah. And what, what I lack was if someone ever asked me, how do you actually, what is your framework? I didn't have that written down and clear in a way where it was understandable. It was in yeah. my own head very clear, but I couldn't articulate it to anyone. Yeah. So the book really helped me galvanize myself as a professional. How, how do I go about my method of coaching? Your framework, I mean, method, method, framework. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, anyone that took my book and said, I'm now going to be a leadership coach, I'm going to use Robert's approach to this, right? It doesn't give you, because when you ask the questions that I have, you know, I, I raise a lot of questions in my book as a reflection questions. Yeah, yeah. When you ask what question or does it need to be formulated, that depends on the person sitting opposite you. And that yeah. is what takes the time to learn, to be able to see their world from their space and then ask the question from their space so you're not sitting separate from them you're sitting with them and the art of coaching is really to sit with your client not opposite your client right all the time and that is the tricky part you don't always get that one but who's that well actually i i, I overstep my apologies let's go back to where you are right so this is a quick quick comeback to that but yeah. that is the art and that's what takes the time to develop the nuances, uh, yeah, and the yeah, feelings. the nuances. Yeah, yeah. I like um, uh, you when you are describing about yourself. Um, feel their pain or joy that they are in. Uh, yes. So you know, it's it's, and if you're not listening, because you said um, your your kind of revelation with you and Vanessa was, uh, you weren't talking anymore. You were listening. And one one of the yes. other guests on the show, um recently and one of the best leaders I've ever worked with um that was her takeaway she said uh, uh be humble and listen yeah, um yeah. and that will make you a great leader <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, uh let's uh, two more questions because you've nailed can, them can, you, can, yeah can yeah. I also say then for what you like because I think what what's really tricky for leaders and I, and I speak in our leaders I'm going to say senior leaders and up, right? So from the senior management to the executive management to the CEO and the board, right? So if, if you look at that level, that spectrum of, of leaders, and, and I do coaching for the, for, at, the, at that spectrum. Yeah. But what I have found during my, all my coaching is that a question that comes of how do I balance listening at the same time as I got to be a person that carries the vision forward? because it requires you to speak about your vision and share your passion at the same time as I balance listening to the input that comes for it. Yeah. I said, if I had the answer to that question, I'd be a billionaire today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I and said, let's about, explore that together. You're not about that anymore. <laughs> you're no, about... exactly right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's really, that's really beautiful. That's, um, yeah. And that's what I love. Um, you know, when you, you probably you're part of Kelly Irving's um, Expert Author Academy and, you, and you've, you've been through her structure about uh, when you're first writing your book, um, 
you do the research about uh, other people that might be writing a book like yours. Yeah. And the scary thing is if you put in leadership in Google or something like that, there could be a million, there could be a million books. But we're obviously not getting it right because it's, yeah. because it's often like your book is amazing and other people's books are yeah. and, and and we're always yearning to get to learn more about it because we're always getting it. Uh, well, we're not getting it right 100%. Otherwise, there'd be no yeah. need for interviews like this. So enough for me. I'm, I shouldn't be talking. Um, last two last two questions. Um, what do you hope? What do you hope? Yeah, what do you desire? What do you hope a reader takes away from your book? That's also something I pondered a lot about. So, and and really, I don't spell it out every in my book, but. but my my reader is really a woman in in a professional career somewhere between 25 and sort of 65 and it's really about if i want them to read my book and have an option if they haven't tested looking at some of these things before to to explore those things within themselves, whether it's then, you know, looking at your habits or assessing your perspective or looking at your assumptions or your unconscious bias, looking at what the gremlin writes in your library yeah. and say, let's not have anyone else that tells you what you can and can't do. Let's, let's remove the blockages from inside you first and then see what you can create in the outside world. Let's not look at what the outside world don't want you to create because your biggest hurdle is within. So I'm really about, yeah, I want them to come from the inside out. Well done, well done, well done. Okay, um, last question. Like you've, uh, it's been a very honest and vulnerable, um, discussion today about you know where you've come from uh, and where you are now and where you are now is quite amazing um if someone else was going to turn uh, um, embark on the robert anderson journey of leadership um what would your three main pieces of advice be well the first one is really the umbrella right I'm, I'm going to quote, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say, I love Simon Sinek's books. Uh, it starts with why, right? And, and, I, and I do agree with it starts with why. However, I think that on many occasions, there is a deeper level than the why. When you look at who, hence my book is Who Makes a Leader. Mm -hmm. I think if your who is in, yeah, I'm used myself in my darkness, with my who is in my light, my why looks totally different. So I don't think it starts with why at every, it can, but I don't think that's the only answer. Mm. I, think in, I think it can definitely starts with who many times because that will derive a different why from there. Yeah. So I think before you start anything, find out your who. So what is, what, what is driving you? To, to wanting to do this? Is it about the bad men for everybody? Is it because you want to be a billionaire? 
Is it because you want to help others or serve? Or what is the driver? Who are you in all this? And what are the drivers that you bring to the table? Yeah. And then look at your why. Why you want to do this? Because once you explore who, your, your why most certainly shift. Okay. So, so that will be that will be my two takeaways to who then the why. So that's the two. Yeah. Or, or that the, the first takeaway. So that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is that you have to have integrity. Now, the best way I can describe integrity is that would you do the same thing if no one else was watching you? Yeah. Right? And if the answer is yes, I would, then you have integrity. Yeah. Because then it does not matter. You are, you are motivated by your values and your beliefs. And who is watching and who is not watching does not matter. And then also lying with that story I told earlier, the African tribe that said you've got to do something for someone else and they will, can never find out. Right? Yeah, so they, I love it lines very it, it aligns very much much with that. And so it's the who and then the why, and then it's integrity. And the last bit is about just make sure you add love, right? If you've got to add love to what you do, it doesn't mean you've got to love everything that you do, but you've got to add love and that flavor of love to the things that you do. Because I do things every day that I don't like that I that I have to do. Like it's yeah. just whatever. I fill up my car with fuel. I could think of nothing more boring, right? <laughs> but I gotta do it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. So now when I fill up my car, every time I, what does it take? A minute, right? You stand and you hold a nozzle and you do nothing else. But I, I do breath work. So I make sure that I take deep breaths while I do that. And then I have time to clear my mind. So that's what I do. So that's me linking who I am into the smallest act of what I do and utilizing those moments to add some love into what I do. Wow. So you've nailed it, mate. You've absolutely nailed it. So look, um, it's been a wonderful. I, I could we, we could go on for hours, but we, 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 um, uh, I, I will wrap it up there. Can you just give a little plug? Like I think people have got enough of a taste of who Robert Anderson is now. Um, and if they want to buy your book, Who Makes a Leader, Not What? Um, yes. yes. <laughs> Robert's just showing it now. And I've got, I've got a copy of it myself. Um, where do they get it? So, so you, can, you can, if you live in Australia, you can get a signed copy of my book on my website, rivenconsulting.com.au. You want to spell that for me? Uh, R-I-V-E-N consulting in one word so www.rivenconsulting.com.au then you just go to shop and buy my book there there's also a link there if you if you live anywhere outside australia or if you don't want to buy a signed copy just buy a copy without me knowing then you can buy on any of the twenty-two thousand, i think it is uh online bookshops there is available anywhere in the world you just type in who makes a leader not what and it'll take you to the site that sells the book well, it's also an audio book available on every audio platform like Audible and Spotify and Apple and iTunes. I should say not Apple, iTunes. So all those uh, outlets will have has my audio book as well available. Lovely, mate. Yeah. So I encourage you to buy uh, Robert's book, uh, all the listeners out there. Um, it's a really easy read and it makes you think. It really makes you think, especially some of that the gremlin stuff, the unconscious bias. Um, and I'll give you, I'll just give you a bit of a heads up. Uh, Robert talked about um, 
alter egos. I think he talked about Batman and the Joker, Superman and um, Lex Luthor. But there's also in the book the red pill or the blue pill. I think it is yeah. the red. Um, Mr. Anderson, and I thought that's a really it's a really clever play on words. Or Mr. Yes. Smith <laughs> in yes. the Matrix. So um, yes. So that's in there quite a lot. So such a pleasure to talk to you today, Robert. You're a true thank gentleman, um, and I I really thank you for coming on the show because um, I think uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to replaying this, this interview myself because there's so much little gems for everyone in it. So thank you. Uh, have oh, a wonderful thank day. You, Alan. Uh, thank, th- th- thanks for having me on. Oh well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Well, how good was that, ladies and gentlemen? Robert Anderson truly is a gentleman and has a wonderful outlook on life. And I found that interview so enriching and so refreshing on what it means to be a leader and and who you are makes you a leader rather than what. I'll leave you with this final testimonial that I think sums up Robert's book and probably his interview. I highly recommend this thought-provoking book. Robert provides a great call to action and guidance on how you can successfully lead while still remaining true to your true to your own values. And that's from Sandra Mylordu, a HR specialist. And I'll leave you with one final quote that I loved from Robert's interview with us today. Listening makes you a great leader and a better person. And ladies and gentlemen, if you want a copy an autographed copy of Robert's book and you live in Australia, please access the website Riven, R-I-V-E-N, consulting.com.au and go to the shop and Robert will send you an autographed copy. If you live outside of Australia, just order the book on Booktopia or Amazon or any of the other multitude of ebook websites where you can buy books online. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Um, I really enjoy your company and patronage of our Courage to Lead interview series. Thank you.